Hello and welcome to the Football Faithful Podcast. My name is Sam Steen and in the absence of actual football on today's episode we're going to look back at all the players who've won the Ballon d'Or and try to make the best 11 possible. Joining me to do that as always is Peter Henry. Hi Peter. Evening lads. Anthony Kelly's there as well. Hi Ant. Hello mates, how you doing? Colin Buig's there too. Hi Col. Hi all. And Deck Coleman. How's Deck? How's it going? Good, good, good. Now, I was going to say it's good to have the regular pod back, but Peter, the uh, 90s Hall of Fame pod is more the regular pod these days. Uh, who was on this week? The one that came out uh, this week was on, you know, a player I'm good at, we can't include in this 11, and I would shoehorn him in somehow, Paul McGrath with David Snade. And this week, Sam, we had Stephen Tudor on uh, discussing one of the most beautiful football players of all time, David Ginola. Nice, very good. That went out on Thursday and every Thursday, so make sure you uh, check it out. Uh, so these kind of pods that we do, they normally end up running unbelievably long, but uh, luckily our formation, more or less, and our back four has already been chosen for us, as uh, only one keeper and three defenders have ever won the Ballon d'Or. So let's just start with those then. And so you're going to start with the keeper, that's Lev Yashin. Yeah, um, way, way before any of our times. And, and to be honest with you, I'm ashamed to say I didn't know too much about him. But um, just doing a little bit of homework on him, he's quite a remarkable guy. Um, didn't really start his career till he was 21, um, was spotted by the military and just went from there, really. was was an absolute um, sort of powerhouse of a goalkeeper, way ahead of his time, um, some fantastic off his line, great reflexes. And he actually, I, I didn't know at the time, but just before him, the goalkeepers would tend to palm the ball out. He was one of the first keepers to actually fashion punch in the ball. Um, and he was also very sort of adept at coming off his line in a kind of sweeper-keeper um, sort of operation. So for a keeper who was playing in the 1950s, he, he was he was pretty spot on. I think he won European Keeper of the Year nine years out of ten. And um, the year he won the Ballon d'Or, he only actually conceded seven goals in Russia's domestic league, <laughs> which ridiculous. is just absolute <laughs> bonkers. Like it's just a bit naughty, isn't it? Like so, yeah. He's. Um, I, I think. I think goalkeepers get criminally um, overlooked in the Ballon d'Or, if I'm being honest. But Yashin's a deserved winner. Absolutely superb. Deck, you got lucky. I think you got a player that we've all seen plenty of. That's Fabio Cannavaro. Yeah, I was happy enough to get that one. To be honest, um, like he'd be the one that you'd have the most memory of as a as a centre a top centre back, I suppose, in, in our generation really. Like um he was the oldest Ballon d'Or winner uh, at thirty three when he won it in two thousand and six. Um and that was the same year I think Juve that Juventus um were relegated after winning the league, you know, with all the scandal that was going on. Um and he went on and signed for Real Madrid that year. But like his honours, like if you look through his his honours in his career, he came through uh, Napoli back around the time when Maradona was there was when he was breaking in training with the first team and that. So like, you know, if you're training up against someone like Diego Maradona as, as a youth player coming through, you're either going to turn out to be good or absolutely horrendous, depending on what way you handle it. So it obviously went well enough for him. He's, he's been, he's the most capped outfield Italian player, 136 caps. He's won the world cup twice in the FIFA world 11. He's won the La Liga twice, Spanish super cup, Italian cup twice. The Italian Super Cup, UEFA Cup. The only the only European Cup actually was the UEFA Cup, the only one that he won. That was when he was back at Parma, back when they had that ridiculous team. Um, so he's had a fairly stellar career. And I mean, you look at his his attributes that would stand out, like would be his reading of the game, bravery, tackling, recovery, 1v1s. But for a fellow who was only five foot nine, he was still very good in the air as well. So he was probably the most complete defender 
like of our generation anyway, I would say. Um, and I think even if you had a big list of defenders who I've seen play, if there was a whole lot of them lined up, he'd be one that I'd be picking anyway for this for this team. Uh, a little bit before that, but still sort of in our time, I certainly remember watching this player. That's uh, Matthias Zammer. He's one of the other defenders who won the award. Uh, Cole? Accomplished, Sam. That's what you'd say about <laughs> Matthias Zammer. He reminded me, right, of a guy who you used to play with when you were growing up, who was just way better than everybody else, frustratingly so. Like, in a kind of inhumane way, that he was too good. Except he did it at the very top level of the game. And he combined his style was... Um, combined like the the class of a Rio Ferdinand and the toughness of a Yap Stam just an unbelievable defender and Sam I absolutely love this guy's CV it's probably my favorite CV out of everyone in the team in terms of what he's won three Bundesliga titles um none of those with Bayern Munich too so he gets extra points for that one with Stuttgart when he played as a defensive midfielder and he was quite a high scoring defensive midfielder then he had a year at Inter which didn't go so well because he didn't like Italian life so much came back to Germany, signed for Borussia Dortmund. Otmar Hitzfeld converted him from a defensive midfielder to a sweeper, which is the position he won the Ballon d'Or in 1996. Won back-to-back league titles with Borussia Dortmund, two Super Cups, the Champions League in 1997 with Borussia Dortmund when they beat Juventus and he was the captain of that side. Won Euro 96 with Germany, uh, scored the winner against Croatia in the quarterfinal, was outstanding against England in the semifinal. Uh, one player of the tournament in Euro 96. Uh, two and won the German Footballer of the Year twice as well and he retired at the age of 32 due to injury unbelievable like talk <laughs> about an opening line to the girl at the bar insane <laughs> insane and also to add to that in case that's not working for her say I also won the Bundesliga title with Borussia Dortmund as their manager in 2002 and I got into the UEFA Cup final that year as well against Feyenoord lost by the odd goal in a thriller of a final so even when he wasn't winning he was entertaining Matthias Sammer my favourite player of all time Uh, Colin are these the kind of lines you think work on women in bars Uh, look it's worked worked for me Sam look at my CV Uh, right uh, Peter then the the final one Franz Beckenbauer is another obviously German who like uh, like Sammer loved bringing the ball out from the back in fact it's, it's sort of like a you know, the, the role is almost named after him. Yeah, their Kaiser, named the Kaiser for his, um, you know, elegance and class on the ball. And yeah, like you said, Sam, he's kind of credited with being the first great sweeper or libero, you know, a defensive player that also kind of dictated the tempo and, and built attacks from the back. You know, again, his CV is just, you know, outrageous. Um, part of the Bayern Munich team that won three consecutive European Cups um, he was actually, he played in the 1966 World Cup final that England won. He was be- voted the best young player in the year then. Um, he went on to win the Euros in 72 with Germany, the 1974 World Cup. Won the Ballon d'Or twice, 72 and 76. Um, you know, I think like sometimes when we do, when we've done these 11s before, if I've done them with other podcasts, I've always kind of thought that you should never pick players you haven't seen play, but I think that there'll be a few on, on my list anyway that their CV, their achievements and legacy just kind of transcends that idea. Um, and, you know, Franz, Franz Beckenbauer is, is very, very much one of them, you know. Right, well, that's the, the three defenders and the goalkeeper chosen for us, fine, and probably just as well because now is when the arguments start. Uh, let's start in the midfield. Let's just hear the rest of your teams, uh, if that's all right. Peter, I'll start with you. 
Yeah, so obviously we've three at the back. <clears throat> I've gone in a 3-4-1-2 formation. I have, in the centre of the park, I have Johan Cruyff and Bobby Charlton, which I set up with the whole idea of maybe not having seen these players play, but their achievements just standing out and obviously seeing bits and pieces of them on YouTube as well. Um, on the left of midfield, I've gone with six-time Ballon d'Or winner Lionel Messi. On the right of midfield, I've gone with five-time Ballon d'Or winner Cristiano Ronaldo, two players we all know loads about. Um, in the number 10 roles, uh, wowing us with his skills and supplying the bullets to my two deadly strikers will be a peak Ronaldinho. And then up front, I have a young R9 and a peak Mar Marco Van Basten. Right, okay, fair enough. Uh, Colin, who have you got? Sam, I've gone for, well, I'll give you my formation first. Go I've gone for the uh, renowned and very common 3-3-3-1 three, 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 formation. Very good. Or otherwise known as 3-5-1-1. So to hold in midfield, I'm going uh, Luka Madrid, winner of the 2018 Ballon d'Or. Uh, his midfield partner just ahead of him will be Zinedine Zidane, winner of the 1998 Ballon d'Or. Uh, the only player in my team who's slightly out of position, because I love him, I have to get him in, is Luis Figo, winner of the 2000 award. He's playing in a slightly more central role, but on the right-hand side of the centre. Uh, then in the number 10 role is Lionel Messi. To the right of him is Cristiano Ronaldo. To their left is Ronaldinho, winner in 2005. And up top is R9, double winner in 1998 and 2002. Well, well I've just noticed, actually, that you've stolen uh, you've stolen Ant's formation. You you weren't alone in your 3-3-3-1. So, Ant, who have you got? I'm bloody furious. That's outrageous, that. He's, he's, <laughs> he's, he's, nicked, he's nicked my Marcelo Biel's uh, chilly formation of 3-3-3-1. Free, free, free I thought I was being dead clever. Cheers, Carl. Nice one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've gone for um, yeah, three, 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 one. Uh, midfield three of uh, Lothar Mateus, uh, Luka Modric, and Zinedine Zidane, and then I've gone for um, attacking three ahead of them of Cristiano Ronaldo on the right, um, Johan Cruyff off the striker, Lionel Messi on the left, and then up top leading the line, I've gone for nineties um, nineties uh, Ronaldo. Um, one of my all-time favourite players. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and Deck, finally, who have you got? I've gone for a 3-4-3 diamond midfield. So I've uh, got Luka Mateus at the base of the diamond, holding midfield. Luka Modric and Kaka either side with Zidane in the 10. I have Messi and Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo, either side of El Fenomeno, Ronaldo, Luis Nazario, De Lima, the Proper Ronaldo. OG say. Ronaldo, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, right, let's... Uh, well, uh, let's start with Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi then because they're uh, common across the board and Peter, as you mentioned, with the amounts that they have, I think these guys are pretty much shoe-ins for the final 11. Uh, let's start with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo then. Uh, as you know, plenty of people might not like him as a person for various reasons, but as a football player, he's pretty unbelievable. Peter, do you want to get us going? Yeah, just what, what what a player, you know. We've been kind of um, lucky to see his, his entire evolution from, you know, arriving at Manchester United and, and being this clearly hugely talented um, kind of show pony almost with his tricks and flicks. Great to watch, but very little kind of end product. And then, you know, it looked for a while. I remember when him and Rooney burst through at United around the same time and, 
Rooney looked a better footballer, um, but Ronaldo just eventually turned into this goal machine, this number machine. Himself and Messi have taken football to a, to a different level in terms of the kind of stats, the numbers that they've posted over the years. And he's just gone on to consistently perform. You know, he won his first Ballon d'Or with United when they dominated English football, won three uh, Premier League titles in a row, scored 42 goals in one season, um, probably one of the greatest in, in English football history. Goes to Real Madrid, despite not rocking up there till the age of 24 or something, goes on to become their their all-time leading goal scorer. Won another four Champions Leagues with uh, Real Madrid. Um, you know, at this, you know, I often think there's it's a pointless debate about the whole who's better, Messi and Ronaldo. But I think, and I always think that if you were you remember them games when you were younger and you used to get like power cards and there was different, like all like the strengths or attributes of each hero, whatever it was, were listed out. I think Ronaldo in many ways is the most all-round, uh, best all-round player. I mean, he could score every type of goal. Um, you know, his his ability in the air is, is now legendary. His Jordan-esque hang time. He can score, he can score tap-ins, one-on-one finishes, free kicks out you know he can score from outside the box off either foot um just kind of the prototype of of the modern footballer and then you know obviously he's 35 now still as uh you know at playing at the top level at Juventus I would expect him probably to to go on for another four or five years such as the kind of level of professionalism he's he's brought to it to the game um there's no you know it's no secret how obsessed he is with being the best and you know, his attitude to sports, nutrition, to how he looks after himself has, I'd say, almost inspired the next generation of footballer to see exactly what it takes to perform at the very best for such a long period of time. And um, like you said, not always a popular player because he's a massive, massive egotist. But on the flip side of that, I think sometimes it's difficult to get to that level without having a massive um, ego. And, you know, I'm looking forward to, to seeing him continue to just break record after record for the next next few years and it's it's been a pleasure to watch the fella's whole career you know Carl, as, as peter mentioned it's not it's the numbers that are just phenomenal with ronaldo these days it's like especially towards you know the, the second half and later part of his time with madrid it was like they were starting every game at least a goal up i think he's the most evolved player uh in football history i think you can safely say that because as peter i mean pretty much summed them up perfectly there Cristiano Ronaldo's career is kind of a career of, say, the first quarter and then the latter three is what everyone knows him for, for being this goal machine. But it's one of the last things you describe him as when he first rocked up at Manchester United was a goal machine, that he looked like he had no interest at all in scoring goals. And I always go back to, like, there's two games in 2003 in the space of a, a few weeks uh, of that summer. There's the, the friendly for Sporting Lisbon against United uh, in Portugal. And then there's his United debut against Bolton at Old Trafford. And I guess um, there's probably, what, a handful of players um, in your lifetime as a football fan that when you watch them on TV, they make you stand up. And that's at home. And I think when Ronaldo first came onto the scene, he was doing things that nobody was doing at that time. Absolutely nobody. Um, And just going back to that Bolton game again, just the step overs. And I know that he had actually a very difficult first three years at United. And three years is a long time in football 
and Alex Ferguson was very good to him. But for a long time, like ask pretty much any United fan, for a long time he frustrated the life out of us. It was led by Ruud van Nistelrooy, who went from the best and most consistent deliverer of a football from the right-hand side in David Beckham to the most infuriating in Cristiano Ronaldo. So it, it almost was the beginning of the end of Van Nistelrooy's United career. Now, there was other factors for that uh, concerning Van Nistelrooy himself, but it tied along with it nicely. And as Peter said, Rooney was the better prospect. I mean, there's actually no debate about that. Rooney was definitely the better prospect. But whatever happened after the 2006 World Cup and the wink in the Portugal-England game, Ronaldo came back that summer. There was the first game of the season against Fulham where they destroyed Fulham, fighting at a Old Trafford. And there's that goal where the two lads run the pitch, basically playing one-twos all the way up the pitch. And Ronaldo just grew into this phenomenon in his last uh, couple of seasons at Old Trafford. But I don't think anybody thought that when he moved to Real Madrid in 2009 that he would go on to do what he did in terms of being that consistent for that long. He's an incredible player. I actually don't think he's the easiest on the eye anymore. I think he's lost all that a long time ago, a long, long time ago. He almost just joylessly smacks the football as hard as he can into the back of the net but there's nobody better than him at that. So he's basically had the career of two world-class footballers all at one. It's true. I, I agree with you. He's not He's not fun to watch anymore. It's just no, like, no. wow, that was... He's just brutally brilliant. And, yeah, uh, well, that's a really good way to describe it, yeah. Brutally yeah, brilliant. Uh, it's, uh, and I think the thing is, you can't really speak about Ronaldo without talking about Messi. It's, it's an unfortunate, I guess, for them that they came along at exactly the same time, and who knows, maybe that's why they're so good. But, uh, Deck, you've got him in there, and... Actually, speaking to you as a coach, I think it's quite interesting because Messi doesn't have all the stepovers. You don't see him on showboat things all that much. It just seems like he's the best at exactly what you're supposed to do. The, like Every basic that you teach somebody or you teach a kid, he does it absolutely 100% perfectly. Yeah, um, but I think to be fair, like he has... He has a bit more than just the basics, obviously. No, no, obviously not. His vision and his timing, his timing, I think, is probably the, the big thing. But his, it, it's nothing is wasted. There's nothing extra. No, it's just like what needs his, to be done, and he does it. His his control, his vision, his dribbling with the ball. I mean, obviously, he doesn't doesn't do a fortune of tracking back, and you know you wouldn't consider him by any means an all round footballer. But like he can do everything that you want a football player to do. As you said, the basics, he will do every single one of those basic things 100% perfectly, almost all of the time. Like he's, And then you look at his, if you look at his highlights reel, like he has a good array, array of goals that he scored, an unbelievable array of assists that he's had. He's, he's just the most complete technical footballer, I suppose, because he can, he can just do amazing things with the football as well as just getting all the basics right. And his accolades that he's won like his achievements obviously as being part of one of the most amazing Barca teams ever but at the same time I don't think that that Barca team would have been half as amazing as it was had it not been for him you know so he's he's the type of player that as an individual everyone would want him in the team but without him in the team even if it was a great team they're gonna they're gonna suffer without him you know so he's just he's another one that we'd say one of the lads said there about seeing Ronaldo coming through from the beginning to the end of his career. Obviously, his career's not over yet. Same with Messi. We, we've seen him coming through. It, the first player that we've seen tr- come through as a as a teenager and go on to achieve, like, absolute top of the game are Ronaldo and Messi, those two. But it's been it's been unbelievable to be able to, to witness it. And I'd imagine it's not going to be until 10 years after he's retired that 
will really be able to appreciate everything he's done because sometimes it's kind of hard to appreciate what a player is doing when you're watching it happen. You know, you look back on any of the players that that have retired who've achieved great status in the game and they're probably spoken of highly, more highly than than fellas we've seen play at the time, you know. So I think it's been it's it's hard sometimes that we don't we don't really take a moment to appreciate the likes of Ronaldo and Messi and what they're doing while we're watching them. Um, obviously, this is an opportunity. You no, know, Messi is just someone who's he will always get you off your seat. He'll always he'll always impress you. He'll always surprise you, and he'll always do something unbelievable. And the funny thing is, it probably shouldn't be unbelievable because that's what that's what we know him for, like. Well, I was just going to say that to, to Ant, actually. The, one of the ma- amazing things about these two guys is they make the unbelievable, they make these incredible figures seem usual. Like like Deck mentioned, once they're gone, I think we'll look back on it and go, Jesus, that was just a, a freak pairing of players. It, you're right. It's, it, it's kind of almost become mundane and routine how how excellent they, they've become. And the, the, the numbers... Um, the kind of numbers they've been getting on a consistent basis for the best part of a decade have almost become so routine now that you're like, oh, you know, Messi's got 50 goals again this season. Oh, Ronaldo's got 60 goals again this season. But what one of the things I've, um, I think has been a little bit kind of muddied the whole the whole sort of story of Ronaldo and Messi has been this kind of rivalry between the two of them. And I just I think we should just appreciate both players for who they are. I mean, I remember Carragher was asked to sum up the rivalry between Gerard and Lampard and, and the difference between the two players. And in and in his book, he, he said about it at the time that um, Gerard was born a great player and Lampard made himself a great player. And I think that there's just kind of something to that with Messi and Ronaldo. You know, I think Pete and, and Cole mentioned it before when he, when he first rocked up at Manchester United, he wasn't this player. And he kind of evolved and he, he physically transformed as well. And he became this this freak of nature and he, he, he was so refined and so good. But if you look at Lionel Messi from like the, you, you could put like a reel of him from the age of 17 right the way through to now. And, and his skill set is still there. That, that wonderful low sense of the gravity, that sort of mesmeric skill on the ball and being able to carry it sort of past defenders at will. Uh, he's been doing that his whole career. It just came so naturally to him. I don't think you could actually coach a player like Messi because he's so talented. He's, um, he he made things like on a weekly basis. He was doing things that would have you just like jaw on the floor. I mean, I, I was lucky to see him coming through in uh, the 0809 season um, uh, when he was playing for Barcelona. He led the front line with um, Henri and Samueletto, and he just didn't look out of place with with those players. And the, the first game I ever saw him to beat Valladolid um, at the New Camp five nil, and they were four nil up after twenty minutes in the game. And Messi had got all four assists that night, and he, he he could have scored a couple of goals himself, but he just he, he just beat about six players and just squared the ball. That's all they kept doing, and they just had no answer for it. And as as you say, it was just it was mesmeric skill and taking the game to another standard that just became oh that's just a Messi and Ronaldo sort of standard, you know. And I think that's what they did. They set the bar so high over the past ten years that you do almost take them for granted, um, but. I think in terms of appreciating them, um, maybe time will talk, maybe in 10, 20 years' time, we'll be the boring old farts in the pub talking about Ronaldo and Messi. But they're certainly, uh, they're certainly worthy of uh, reverence no matter what generation you're talking about. Yeah, what no. I think is brilliant with the two of them is they're so similar yet so different. Like we mentioned about Ronaldo being just a machine, he just scores goals for fun. Messi, 
Messi's numbers are unbelievable when you take into account what Ant was saying there about when he broke onto the scene and he still does it. He he beats players and just rolls it for someone else to tap in. That's that's why I would have Messi if it was in the debate between the two. I'd have Messi as ahead of Ronaldo because he just it's still it's the the lack of being a selfish player, I suppose. Um, the, I think it's the efficiency. It's kind of like what we talked yeah. about. He just does the thing that makes it most likely for his team to score a goal, whether that's him passing it into the corner or him giving it to somebody in a better position. He's just just a goal machine, whether he's making them or, or scoring them himself. Um, so they're two players that we've seen pretty much their whole career, and they're, they're still ongoing. They are the most winningest winners of the Ballon d'Or. Um, but I want to go back to some of the older players. And Peter, you chose two. You had Cruyff and Charlton. Um, there's, Cruyff is propped up, I think, in two of your teams. So let's go with Charlton. Why should he be in the eleven? Yeah, it was kind of a toss-up um, between Bobby Charlton and Michel Platini and then Lothar Mateus, who I would have seen a bit of myself uh, just when I started to remember football, especially 1990. But I decided to go with Bobby Charlton because I just think, you know, there's the whole backstory there, the fact he, he was, you know, almost died in, in a tragic air, in the tragic Munich air crash in 1958. Um, when he was part of the, the Busby Babes team, and then to come back to captain England to to, um, to the World Cup in 1966, and then captain Man United to be the first uh, English team to win the European Cup in 1968. And I think, you know, he scored four as a central midfielder. Um, if you watch the YouTube videos, he pings balls into the top corner with his right foot and left foot in, in, in quagmire of pitches. He scored 49 goals for England in 106 uh, games. And this was before um, there was no meaningless friendlies. There was no ridiculously lopsided, uh, you know, qualifying groups where players get to pad their scoring numbers, all from, from a central midfielder. It, it's absolutely ridiculous, really. He won the Ballon d'Or in, in 19... In 1966, after captaining England to the World Cup, and I just think I think the backstory as well just just makes him such such a special player. And I know he's a player that you know amongst other European countries is is massively revered for for just how good he was. And um, so for me, yeah, I went with Bobby Charlton, but it was a tough call between Platini, who did rule the roost of European football in the mid 80s, and then Mateus, who was also top class. Yeah, well, you mentioned Lothar Matthias and uh, Deck and Ant. I both, I think you both have him in there. So, uh, Deck, tell us why. Yeah. Well, what's brilliant about Matthias is if you if you look at the decades he's played in, he started he started in '79, so he's played in the '70s, the '80s, the '90s, played in 2000 when he retired. He actually came out of, came out of retirement in 2018 as well, when he was 57 to play 50 minutes of FC Herzogenrocks final game of the season so that's the team he had started off with and he wanted to play his last competitive game there so they had already secured the title and he came on or he played he played however 50 minutes of the game to to have that achievement of starting his career and ending his career there yeah, but, but 50 minutes even it's not like he came on just for a yeah, quick wave like <laughs> exactly like and that's at, a, at 57 like and also after he's had five waves like so he's had a, <laughs> he's had some career like he's like I said, started in, started in 79, so he's played through the eras of the, the likes of Cruyff, Keegan, Platini, Zidane. Now, obviously, he wasn't the best player all the time in those eras, like, but it's it's just an unbelievable longevity of a career to have. And 
I mentioned about Maradona with Cannavaro earlier. Like Maradona described Luther Mateus as his toughest ever opponent he came up against. This is a player who could play in defence, play in midfield, similar to to what the lads were saying about Matthias Sammer earlier. You know, a player who could just do a bit of everything: strong, athletic, technically gifted, could shoot, could pass, could tackle. Like if you look at it, if you look at a a highlights reel of him on YouTube, you could. Without knowing what position he played, you you could think, oh, geez, he must be a striker. Or then you'd look at another clip. Uh, he must have been a centre-back. You know, he just could do everything. And another player who's the most capped um, for his national team. So the football national manshaft uh, major player. Like, he's he's played hundreds of games for, or, well, 150 games for Germany. So played in nine major tournaments. It's just, for, for an achievement like that, I think he deserves to be in the reckoning, like, he was there. He was at his very his absolute peak as well at the 1990 World Cup. He he was kind of he was Germany's best player then. That was the year he won it as well. Yeah, at, at the um, age of 29, like winning the Ballon d'Or as well. Like you know, it's it's fairly impressive because you'd think that players in their prime would be 25, 26, 27. So 29, you think he's coming to the end of his career, and then you look at when he actually continued. He played for another 10 years after that properly. You know. I, I like I love as well, Deck. I don't know when you were you were doing your homework on him, but there's um looking at all these players that everyone's got. I mean, I think to be a great player, you'd be talking about Ronaldo before and people like that. You've you've got to be um fanatical almost in your approach. And one of the things I really admired about Mateus when I was reading about it is he um, at thirty eight he played his way into the France ninety eight World Cup squad. He only played about twenty games domestically in the Bundesliga that season. But he was just so good. Um, he, there, there was a there was a national sort of um, outcry for him to be in the team. He was a bit of a media darling. They all, they all loved him in Germany. I think that's why a few ex pros like Klinsmann and a few of the others weren't exactly his best pal because he was so loved in the in, in the media and he was a bit of a wide boy, but a bit of a charmer. Um, but he, he by sort of sheer force of will at the age of thirty eight, he still wanted to go to the World Cup and he still wanted to be with the national team. And that was after two years of not being in the team altogether. So you know, I I just I was just really blown away by that, and everybody who seems to speak about him, you know, ex players, um, are just absolutely in adoration of him. Um, Haman tells a great story about him in in that tournament of France '98. Uh, he was he was like the, the big brother figure in the team, and they went to this millionaire's uh, party. I think it was the it was the daughter of a, a German high German um, car hire company, and. Um, they were based about 20 miles from Nice in France in the World Cup, and they were all complaining that they hadn't seen the families. They were all a bit sort of missing them. And um, Matthias apparently disappeared with this millionaire-s for about 20 minutes, and he came back and was winking to the players. And the next day, they came to the uh, they came back to the hotel complex, and there was 20 brand-new Mercedes-Benz waiting to take the players into Nice to go and see the players. And he was saying to him, I told you I'd wing it for you, lads. So he, he's just, he just comes across as a proper Jack the Lad, which um, which really made me warm to him as well. I think you need that in a team, a bit of personality and a bit of character. And I was hoping maybe, you know, trying to put this team together as I'm trying to, you know, figure out what the final eleven's going to be. Is is it you go for, you know, when you're trying to pick like a five-a-side team, do you actually want players who fit into positions or are you just picking all of the guys who are going to go up and score goals? Well, this guy's a man who can sit and defend and score goals. So I think he's... Putting himself in with a good shout into the final eleven there. Uh, let's stick with uh, some players who played in the in the seventies anyway, and we'll go with uh, Cruyff. I mean, he had a whole move made after him. He is the the father of Barcelona football and of total football. Uh, Peter, did you have him in your eleven? This was one like my point about play. You know, 
uh, achievements and legacy just just transcend and not having seen them play. You know, he was he was very much the leader and the kind of on-field coach of the total football style that um, that Holland were renowned for in the seventies. Um, kind of style of play where every player was good enough both tactically and technically to interchange positions. Um, regarded as the best team never to win the World Cup, probably um, they finished runners-up in, in 1974 and 1978. He was also, you know, he won eight division titles with, with Ajax. He's an Amster, Amsterdam boy. Uh, won the Ballon d'Or in 71, 72, 73. A player that by by all accounts could could play anywhere on the pitch and, and still be be the best player, you know. Um I think as well, if, like after his, his spell with with Ajax, he'd obviously done everything he could with them. He heads over to Barcelona and he, he wins the first league title in 14 years at the Camp Nou. And then his overall legacy, you know, having a turn named after you, anybody around at that time just speaks of him as being this, you know, this ob- almost mythical uh, figure who didn't really play in any one position. He- he'd play right back for a couple of minutes, run over, tell the centre-back to change position, go there, then he'd be on the wing, then he'd be up front. Just, just a, f- a phenomenal player. And his overall legacy with Barca, you know, the Barca teams we've come to know now, the the tiki taka style that all comes from from Johan's Cruyff ideal his ideals around football um, managed Barcelona the great uh, dream team in the early 90s that were dominating Spanish football won the European Cup and um, you know even Pep Guardiola I saw earlier today that Laporte the Barcelona um, whatever he's not chief executive but chairman or whatever they called him in, in Spain he said the main reason he gave the Barca job to a young Pep Guardiola who'd never managed at senior level before. Senior level before was because Johan Cruyff told him to. That's basically how much he valued his opinion. And Pep Guardiola, who is now regarded as as the greatest coach in the world and will go down as maybe the greatest ever, he he will tell you that so many of his ideals and footing in football philosophy all come from Johan Cruyff. So. In many ways, I would say, apart from just this amazing player playing career, arguably the most influential football person ever. I, I would say, um, like I saw, I'm gonna I'm gonna give my final argument with with two quotes that I love. One is by Eric Cantona. He said, "I loved I loved the Dutch in the 70s. They excited me, and Cruyff was the best. He was my childhood hero. I had a poster in my." poster of him in my bedroom wall he was a creator he was at the heart of a re- of a revolution with his football I- Ajax changed football and he was the leader of it all if he wanted to be he could be the best player on the pitch in any position and then a quote from him himself which I just absolutely love it's one of my favorite football quotes it's that playing football is very simple but playing simple football is the hardest thing to do uh right it's uh, hard to follow that pitch I think and so have you got anything to add to it not particularly, no. I think Peter's has rounded off all the bases there quite nicely for Cruyff. I think... I think the, uh, po- the point I, about being maybe one of the most influential footballers of all time, even if we haven't seen him a whole lot, we, we all know about him, we've seen enough about him, and his legacy after he even finished playing seems to be more than 
almost anyone else that we're going to talk about on the show today. Oh, without shadow of a doubt. I mean, the, the, the sort of um, the, the legacy of that Dutch team with him at the heart of it is still being felt today um, in, in modern football. The whole idea of rapid interchange of positions and, um, you know, a, a Klopp, even though he's stylistically very different to Guardiola, he his football thrives on if, if you're in a right-back position, you're a right-back. If you're in a centre-forward position, you're a centre-forward. It doesn't matter where which box you tick. And I think that all started with Cruyff. Um, there were so many anecdotes of him screaming to the bench and telling the, the manager which player to bring on and, you know, uh, dropping into midfield and, and then just, just so such a clever footballer on the pitch. Um, and I, I think he really did redefine um, what it was to be a great player. And for that, he's, he's, worthy, he's worthy of any world 11, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, looking at your 11s that you'd sent in, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, I have a sort of an 11 in my head based on your choices already, and he wasn't in there, but hearing that, oh, it's, it's going to be hard to leave him out. But uh, I, I think about it. Uh, Colin, I'm going to go with you, uh, because you've got a player out in his own, actually, a player that nobody else shows. That's Figo. Yeah, and I think that sums him up, because I think he's somewhat forgotten um, to an extent, certainly when you're talking about the best of the best. And if you... If you just reminisce for a second about Figo's career, it's sensational. Like he won two La Ligas with Barcelona, two La Ligas with Real Madrid, four La Ligas with, or sorry, four Serie A titles with Inter Milan when Juventus were out of town in the in the mid to late two thousands. He won the Champions League, of course, at Real Madrid. He won the Cup Winners Cup with Barcelona. He won a couple of Copa del Reyes. He won Portuguese Player of the Year six years in a row. He won La Liga Foreign Player of the Year three years in a row. Um, he was player of a uh, tournament. Sorry, he got into the team of the tournament at the European Championships in 2000 and 2004. And he got into his player of the year in 2006. 32 goals and 127 particle caps. And obviously, uh, Ballon d'Or in 2000. So there are the stats. But the thing about Figo is he was a sensational uh, dribbler of the football. He had this shimmy where he'd switched very quickly from right foot to left foot to get in between two defenders. And he also was fantastic at set pieces. Great free kick specialist. And I think what Figo suffers from is that he was he ended up being just another Galactico. And if you're watching um, The Last Dance at the moment on Netflix, the, the Chicago Bulls documentary, and it's obviously primarily about Michael Jordan, and then you have Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman. And Dennis Rodman's kind of the third star. And I think that's, to an extent, what happened with Figo at Real Madrid. He signed in the summer of 2000. I actually, at the start of that summer, I was obsessed with him when he was at Barcelona. I remember he tore Chelsea apart in Europe in his last season at Barca. And at the start of that summer, I got a Luis Figo Barcelona jersey with number seven on the back. And a few weeks later, he, of course, made the switch to Real Madrid. So was but that still... you throwing the pig's head on the pitch then? No, no, I continued to wear the Barcelona jersey around because I loved him that much. And he was a star at Barca. And if you look at his Barca highlights on YouTube, they're brilliant. And his first year at Real Madrid, he's outstanding as well. Absolutely outstanding. Um, but then what happens in 2001, Real Madrid signs Zinedine Zidane. So he becomes a star. And then two years later, they sign David Beckham. And of course, sorry, and in between that, you have Brazilian Ronaldo. So what happens is you have players who may be the only player in the world at each respective skill that's better than Figo. So, for example, Figo's outstanding at free kicks. David Beckham's slightly better. Uh, Figo has amazing footwork. Ronaldo is slightly better. Figo has unbelievable technique and control of a game. Zidane does it better. 
and he was the the consummate number seven for Barcelona and Portugal. But when he moves to Real Madrid, he has to take the number 10 jersey because number seven is Raul's. Can't touch it. So for all those reasons, I think he's slightly been forgotten about. And also when you look at him, like he wasn't your quintessential winger, wasn't your typical wide man in terms of how he looked. He was very broad, quite stocky. Um, great hair. And what, uh, great hair, just handsome, you know, very handsome, very marketable. And I, I suppose if you're, if you're going to put him into a, an advert and he was in loads, you wouldn't say, oh, this guy, stick him out wide. You're going to want him in the middle. But he actually <laughs> played out wide and that's where he was most effective. And he was one of the very few wingers who were, who was consistently reliable on the ball in that he very rarely lost the football. And that's an incredible skill to have as a wide man taking on the best teams on a regular basis. And, you know, he had five years at Barcelona he had five years at Real Madrid and he had four years at Inter Milan. So he was doing this on a consistent basis over a decade and a half. And I do think he's slightly been forgotten about. And actually, I'm very confident and quite comfortable with the fact that he's not going to be in this final 11 team. But because I think he is fantastic and I love watching him back, I had to put him in my team. And maybe it sums up where he's kind of the odd one out in that he's the only one in my 11 who's slightly out of position. But technically... There was very few players better and his skill definitely goes under the radar and is most certainly overlooked. Fantastic yeah, Colin, player. Colin, I'd agree. Definitely. Like he, he's one of the best players that, that we've all probably ever seen. He was unbelievable. Do, do you think maybe it's because he left Barca in such controversial circumstances? And then, as you said, you know, he went to a team of Galacticos in Real Madrid where he was, you know, he, he wasn't, he was still world class, but there was even probably better players than him there at that time. Do you think because of that, he, you know, he's probably not particularly, definitely not loved by Barcelona fans, and probably because Real Madrid had so many like Zidane at the time, Ronaldo, Raúl, they probably don't really have that love for him either. He's probably one of them players that's a victim of maybe making a controversial move and therefore never really been loved by any of the club's fans that he played for. If you know what I mean. Yeah, it's definitely a point. But then, you know, you could argue Brazilian Ronaldo played for both Milan's and Barca and Real. Uh, and yet, all of those fans have some sort of love for him. Yeah, uh, now, the difference is he never went, but he never went directly from either, whereas Figo did. And that was the big thing with Figo. Um, and also, like if I say Luis Figo to any football fan who has been around for the last 20 years that remembers football, the first thought is the pig's head. And I think that's what led to Figo's demise in a, in a reputation sense anyway, in that he was seen as the traitor. And I think that really overlooks his ability because he, he's justified that move for pure footballing reasons. He believed that he could win more at Real Madrid than he could at Barcelona. And he was correct. Like he won the Cup Winners' Cup at Barcelona. He won the Champions League at Real Madrid. That was his ultimate goal. But obviously it leaves a bitter taste in the mouth. But I think ultimately... Um, Okay, Barcelona fans are never going to forgive him. But I think really what his demise is in terms of getting into a world 11, the best of the best, is that there were better players than him at Real Madrid. And they were probably the only players that were better than him. Do you think and in hindsight, he thinks he should have picked up the pig's head and ate it? Like your man with the banana. I think he, I think he I, dealt with it perfectly. I mean, I couldn't believe his reaction when I look back on it in that he just ignored it and he continued to take corners. It was incredible. And actually... And then I think the final nail in his coffin um, in terms of seen as the ultimate player is that 
the one player that surpassed him for Portugal is Cristiano Ronaldo, who started <laughs> off the same position as him. So the guy just can't catch a break. Like, yeah, But if yeah. I was Luis Figo, I would be more than satisfied with my career because he did it consistently in a position that is stereotypically very inconsistent. So he's a fantastic, fantastic winger, probably the best winger of the last 30 years in football, I would say. Jack, you had a player who was, uh, well, you were the only person to choose him, and I think he kind of falls into the same category as Figo in that he was an unbelievable player, everybody recognised how good he was, and then he sort of just disappeared and has become forgotten, and that's Kaka. Yeah, well, I suppose the big thing for me that that made me choose Kaka is he was the last winner of the Ballon d'Or before Messi and Ronaldo started to dominate. So that's probably partly the reason why he's, kind of been a bit of a forgotten player as well, you know, because going from what is regarded as the best player in the world in 2007 when he's 25, and then all of a sudden Messi and Ronaldo just start doing it. Like, so it's a hard one. It's a hard one for any player to to keep going with the two of them. But again, like his his achievements, he's won the World Cup, he's won the Champions League, Serie A, La Liga, Spanish Cup, Italian Cup, World Club Cup. He's just a serial winner. And He's won the Italian Football of the Year multiple times. Like goals, assists, his vision, his movement. He's just like an all-round technician. Like, and I've I've had the privilege of seeing him play a couple of times. Unfortunately, one of those times was in 2007 in the Champions League final when he was the top scorer for AC Milan. In that, in in uh, he was actually the top scorer in the Champions League in 2007, and was instrumental in them winning it in 2007 against Liverpool. He was like constantly in the top assists charts and all that, but like he could just run a game, like his movement and his creativity on the ball. He would just create chances out of nothing for players. And I saw him do it in 2005 against Liverpool in Istanbul when he he created, he won he won the free kick that led to the first goal, uh, Maldini's goal. He assisted Crespo for the third one, and I think he may have assisted him or play or played a big part in the second goal in in that first half and, and in this final in 2007 then he won the free kick that um, they went 1-0 up from and then he assisted the second one for Inzaghi as well so he just not only was he able to do all these things but he, he did all these things while having an impact on games and winning things which obviously is part of the reason why any of these players make it into these into these Ballon d'Or conversations but I just think he's a player that is similar to what Cole was saying about Figo is just goes under the radar a bit in, in like, if it wasn't for Messi and Ronaldo coming on the stage, coming on the scene when they did and going on to dominate as the two best in the world for 10 or 15 years, you'd have seen a lot more of Kaka's name. Now, obviously, he's played for Milan, got a move to Real Madrid. Um, people will say it didn't really work out for him at Real Madrid, but he, as I said, he won La Liga there. He was, he had one or two very good seasons. Injuries kind of got the better of him a bit. He went back to Milan, didn't have a great season there, went on loan to Sao Paulo, I think, and then finished up in Orlando, where he was instrumental as well in in the MLS kind of taking off a little bit more. Obviously, we, we know David Beckham was the main one there in, in building the reputation of, of MLS. But Kaka, as far as I can remember, is probably the next big name to to make the move to MLS and actually have some bit of a, make some bit of a stamp on the league, you know? So for a player who's, who's been around and will go under the radar a bit. I think his achievements are unbelievable. And he was at the peak, obviously, in 2007 when he was age 25 and, and won Ballon d'Or. And I think he definitely deserves to be able to shout for, for his achievements. And 
like I said, for the stamp he made in big games such as Champions League finals and and cups and things like that, you know. And he, he really made everything look effortless, didn't he? Oh, unbelievable! Just like he'd play a pass, the ball would the ball would be coming towards him, and there'd be a player through on goal, and you'd almost forget that the ball passed through Kaka's feet on the way. You know, it was just he wouldn't even break his stride. The ball would come, he put someone through on goal without even making it seem like he had any contact with the ball, yet the ball has travelled 30, 40 yards. Close control, close quarters. He'd slide players through in the tightest of scenarios in and around the box. And obviously, he was a goal scorer himself as well. So just just unbelievable. Like Probably what you'd say about the, the technical Brazilian players, he's the epitome of that type of player, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He was uh, the world's uh, most expensive transfer for about 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, he signed it like on, on the Monday he went to Real Madrid for 60 million, million and then on the Tuesday they signed Ronaldo for 80 million or something uh, yeah. <laughs> all, think, all uh, was Kaka, destined to be forgotten yeah. I think Kaka is responsible for the second best individual performance against Manchester United that I can remember in yeah he was unbelievable uh, in that game yeah. Uh, I, I remember that was a really good United side who won the league that year. Oh, but he just uh, walked but, through the team, though. He was unbelievable. Oh, like, well, and like everyone just think when I say that is just thinking about the goal, but it wasn't just the goal at Old Trafford. It was he was like a player who you know was he he was just what well, I was trying to think of something clever to say, but it's just easiest to say is that he was by far the best player on the pitch, and that's saying something when an opposing player goes to Old Trafford. That very rarely happens. The only performance I've seen better was Ronaldo in 2003 yeah, for Real Madrid. More on that you know, later, I'm do sure. Do you know what's another, what's another fun fact about him, which surely deserves for him to be in contention for this, is he was the first sports person to amass 10 million followers on Twitter. So, you know, really? he started the trend there, like, obviously. So led with Ronaldo that, Messi took, took over that mole quick enough as well, like, but... Uh, should we take a break, lads? So will we have a quick game? Yeah. <laughs> yes, go. <cool. laughs> yes, All right, please. let's do it. Brilliant. Fine. Uh, yes, I love your enthusiasm. All right, I've got a bunch of uh, just general knowledge football questions and uh, we'll have round number one now. Uh, in what year was the Premier League founded? Peter. Oh, Peter. Ouch. Peter. 90, first season, 92 and 93. 1992, very, very good. Uh, question number two. Real Madrid won the first five European Cups, but which club was Ouch. the second? Ouch. And. Ouch. Ads, ads. Uh, Benfica. It was Benfica. Very good. Question number three. Who holds the record for the most consecutive Premier League appearances? Peter. Peter. It is Brad Friedel. I'll give you a bonus point if you know how many. Uh, 252. 310. Very good. Uh, Which club won the 2017 UEFA Super Cup? Peter. Peter. Real Madrid. Yeah, I mean, it's worth a guess. Uh, very good. And I'll go one more. Who was the manager of Manchester City when they won their first Premier League title? Peter. Peter Hold again. Mancini. It's Mancini. Peter, running away with that one. I think four out of those five. So very good. Uh, let's get back to this. And I want to talk about Luka Modric, actually, because he features in three of your teams. And why is he in there? Yeah, Modric was... Um, it, it, at first, I was like, thank God Modric has won the Ballon d'Or because I was looking at my team thinking, how the hell am I going to make it work? There's just no balance. It's a bit silly. I don't know. Obviously, there, there is an element of that when you're picking some of these teams. But actually, in fairness to Modric, he is genuinely um, one of the classiest midfielders of his generation. And obviously, he had that wonderful spell at Spurs, which acquainted him to most um, Premier League followers. But if you look at his, his form at Real Madrid, like, you, you're talking about a study in consistency and quality. Um, and 
you know, it, um, Deck mentioned before about the 2007 Champions League final and, and Liverpool falling victim to Kaka. He's absolutely right. He ran the show that day. But I remember half time um, in the 2018 uh, Champions League final and uh, said to me, mate, we're in trouble here. This was before even Cadius's brain fart to making mistakes. Um, Modric um, was so influential in that match. Um, he was just able to sit back and dictate the game, dictate the flow. He made the, him and Tony Cruz together such intelligent footballers. Uh, just able to make the game, make the pitch so big, and Liverpool were, were genuinely dog-eared in that game. We had we had a thin squad. Uh, we played at such a high octane level all season. And Real Madrid were wise to that, and they used a player of Modric's quality to just do what he does: get the ball, dictate the flow, dictate the tempo of the match, make sure everyone's you know controlled, measured, and he's just, he's so influential. I think any great team needs a player like that. Um, if you look at his form, he, he's almost consistently got better every single year. Um, obviously, in uh, in Russia in the World Cup with Croatia, he, he was absolutely spellbinding um, for that team. Him and Rakitic together were just outstanding. Um, just the way he can like sort of you know keep the midfield so well well oiled and, and greased. But I think what I like about Modric the most, and he's like a lot of players from the Balkans in that era, he's had a really horrible like childhood and a really horrible upbringing as well so to, for him to get to where he's got um, is, is a fantastic story in itself I mean he was uh, at the age of six years old he was a refugee um, his, his grandfather was murdered by Serbian militia in 1991 and basically his family were forced to flee they were put up in a hotel with a lot of other refugees the hotel didn't have a steady flow of electricity or running water um, there were bombs going off in the hills in the distance. There were snipers covering certain streets. They were told they couldn't leave the hotel at all. And at the age of six and seven years old, Modric was just in the car park, basically practicing, practicing, keeping the ball, kicking the ball against the wall, trying to keep himself entertained. So for him to get from that to Ballon d'Or winner, four, you know, four European Cups of Real Madrid, um, you know, to fit right in with the calibre and the quality um, of of a team as good as Real Madrid under Zidane as well. Um, by all accounts, Zidane is an absolute bugger to impress. You have to be, um, you know, you have to be overworldly to keep Zidane happy as a manager. And Modric has kept his place in that team for so long. And I think it, it was about time a player like him was recognised because there were there were players similar like Xavi and a few other players who were just able to control a game and, and dictate a match. But because of Ronaldo and Messi's duopoly on the uh, on the Ballon d'Or. It was actually quite nice to see a player as good as Modric be be recognised for his achievements. So I, I think he's he's worthy of, of being of being in there amongst the best for sure. Especially because he's the one who broke the mould of Ronaldo and Messi, who had yeah. been dominating it. Like for him to be the one, and and again another fella who at age thirty three is winning it. Like that's it's some some achievement. And you mentioned you mentioned how you'd compare him a bit to Xavi, and I'd. I'd almost say he's a bit of a cross between Xavi and Iniesta where he just has the intelligence on the pitch, but his use of the ball, his ability to run the game, but he could play as an attacking midfielder or a deeper player, you know, like probably similar to say how Andrea Pirlo reinvented himself by by going a bit deeper and running games from deeper in the pitch. Modric similar, you know, he he did something similar where as he got a little bit older, he started playing a bit deeper, but still he has that unbelievable ability to beat a player find a pass you know he just seems to do the right thing at the right time and uh, as you said I don't think he, he, he give the ball away Deck. I don't think yeah, I yeah, it's probably once in his career probably 
Yeah, I think it was a Tuesday. Yeah, I just don't, <laughs> don't remember it. It like, was a wet. Yeah. It was a wet Tuesday at Stoke, probably. <laughs> yeah. I love. I love as well that uh, Madrid did all of this as well and still managed to piss about at Spurs for five years. Incredible. Well, well, he's the only one, or one of the only ones, apart from Ronaldo, actually, who's actually played a wet Wednesday night at Stoke. So you know. Well, maybe. the fact the fact that playing. He's definitely at Stoke and also playing for so long at Spurs didn't make him into an absolute shit player. achievement. <laughs> well, he's, he's featured on three of your teams, which is uh, it's decent. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly in with a shout. Uh, Ronaldinho features on two of those, and I think he's an interesting character because he's, you know, he's almost the opposite to Messi and Ronaldo in that everything he did was was extra. You know what I mean? There was everything was exciting, was a flick, was a trick, and yet he had the end product as well. Uh, Peter and Carl, I think you have him in there, don't you? Yeah. All right, yeah, Carl, yeah. we'll go with you. Oh, thank you, because he is... Um, geez, I, I think he's my second favourite player ever, and he just brings a smile to my face even hearing his name. Even the fact that he's in jail in Paraguay now is funny. It's just, there's just so much... I couldn't believe that when that story broke. I was like, uh, why? Just... Why do you have a fake passport, Ronaldinho? Oh, uh, exactly. <laughs> and, then, and then there's the picture of him looking all sheepish and just being like, oh, I don't know how this happened either. And that's kind of how he, he reacted to playing football. He was like, I don't even know why I'm playing this match, but I'll play it anyway. Um, uh, incredible. And do you know what? Ronaldinho is, my, is the one player for me when I'm justifying all these selections is that I don't really... I'm not really that bothered about his stats. You know? I yeah, I, I, do you know what? Player. I totally agree with you. It's, it's, how he, it's how he makes you feel almost, you know? It's... Yeah, but, and, he, and he only won it once, you know? He only won it in 2005 when um, Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard came second and third, and he won it by a distance. Uh, so he had, you know, he's won a couple of Ligas, he's won Serie A, the Champions League, the World Cup, but it's just what he did on the pitch. I mean, put it, I have a friend who I text him, like, basically just about Ronaldinho all the time. That's all we talk about. And he's definitely the player I YouTube most, just every so often, just YouTube him, just for the crack. Um, for about two years, I'd say between 2004 and 2006, football was an absolute joke to Ronaldinho. A complete joke. He played football like he was playing five-a-side. But he genuinely did things that no one had seen before. No, I mean, there's that Chelsea goal at Stamford Bridge where... You could hear the exasperation of the crowd. Then everyone was like, "What did he just do there?" And then there's the the game at home to Chelsea at at the New Camp where he bulldozed past John Terry, a peak John Terry, uh, who had just won Players Player of the Year uh, in England. Um, but then and then there's the, the the game at the Bernabeu. You know those two goals against Real Madrid, and you know famously the Real Madrid supporters giving me a standing ovation. So he did it in the big games, but he played as if it was a testimonial. And that's how I could best describe Ronaldinho, in that he was so far ahead of everybody else for the briefest of times. And that, again, for me, makes me love him even more, because he only did it for a while. And I mean, when his demise was rapid, it was rapid. After 2006, they won the Champions League Barcelona in 2006, beating Arsenal, pretty much thanks to Henrik Larsson's cameo. And after that, you know, Brazil had a very disappointing World Cup. And after that... Frank Reichardt lost patience with him at, at um, Barcelona. Ronaldinho was still at the club when Barcelona played Manchester United in the 2008 semi-final of the Champions League. He wasn't anywhere near the squad. Uh, went off to AC Milan. Did okay at Milan. Had his moments. But the guy just lost interest almost in football. But for those peak couple of years, there's nobody been like him. Nobody. And I, I purposely put him on the left-hand side of this team uh, at the expense of others because that's where he was so 
so damaging. And I, I'd say out of all the players I have on my team, bar obviously R9 up front, that Ronaldinho does the most damage from this position because he used to pick up the ball on the left, take a touch, but the outside of his right. And who knows what would happen? But it usually meant the right back was in trouble. You, he you, was, oh, he's phenomenal. What's funny is about him, I think, uh, and Peter, I'll ask you a bit more about this then, because he was, like you say, uh, Carl, he, he shone very brightly for a short period of time, but maybe second to Cruyff, he's one of the most influential players on of all the players who've been chosen in that he showed that there were different things you could do with the football that we'd never seen before. There were just tricks and, you know, he controlled it with his back. He did that kind of, you know, the the flick where he whips it outside and then back in again. There was just things that we'd never seen before that are now just not normal, but, you know, they're, they're ones that, they're tricks that players run through that, you know, he, he was the, the first sort of YouTube footballer. Yeah, I'd agree with that very much. And I'd also agree with Colm. He's kind of my go-to, him and R9, that if you're having a shit day and you just want a bit of cheering up, you just watch a 10-minute compilation um, of Ronaldinho. I think, like a lot of other Bra- Brazilian footballers, you know, it, it's well known that, that they tend to shine very brightly for two or three years and then you kind of fall off a cliff a bit. I don't think Kaká is an example of that short-lived reign at the top, but he wouldn't be the, the typical in that. You know, a lot, a lot of them come from abject poverty. Ronaldinho's loved a loved a party, that's kind of where his demise came from, is is living the life off the pitch. Um, the, the Paraguay thing is hilarious because supposedly you don't even need a passport because Paraguay, <laughs> Paraguay and Brazil are next to each other. They have a, they have a border policy where you don't need a passport. So that but just, but it's, it's Ronaldinho as well. I mean, like like they're not going to know who he is. Do you know what I mean? I know. And I, he, I love the way he rocks Kangol hats uh, as well. Like Kangol hats just... You never see them anymore, but Kaká or sorry, Ronaldinho can still still pull them off. But yeah, he's just he's been so influential um, in terms of you know his trickery, his skills, and, and for that period, he was by far the the best player in, in in the world. And it's a bit of a pity that it, that he didn't go on and, and and reign for longer because I remember when he went to AC Milan, he, he had his shirt number. I can't remember what it was. I think it said like. Um, it had his, it has the year he was born in. I can't remember what the year was, but it was basically to remind people that he was he was still only like twenty nine or thirty. But it felt like this guy was thirty six, thirty seven. You know, he he just he looked completely past it. Um, apart from from the odd flick or trick. Um, I think maybe very very true that what you said about being the kind of first real YouTube footballer, and I think that maybe. No slight on him, I think maybe has a bit of a negative effect on players these days where every winger and that is kind of more style over substance. But nobody can do it the way Ronaldinho did it. He played football. There was just an, an outpouring of joy, of of yeah, of, of joy and, and happiness. And you could see he just loved playing football. He loved not just beating men, but humiliating them, taking the piss out of them. The no look passes, the you know, he was just he was just phenomenal. Um, and one of the most enjoyable players I can I can ever think of to watch. And yeah, just an absolute legend. I think we've only got one more uh midfielder on our list anyway that hasn't been chosen. Um and that's Zidane. He's picked he's come up on a on a couple of years and uh, he's the best player I've ever seen live. Um so I don't know who wants to start this off because he he features it, on a few of your teams. Uh, Sam, give it to Dick. Deck. I love hearing Deck talk about Zidane. All right, talk to me, Deck. 
well, I don't know, am I going to live up to Cullum's expectations? Don't I? Better. <laughs> now look, Zidane, Zidane is is football porn. Like he is unbelievable. Yeah, he, like, he's like the, he's like the lads mentioned about videos that they go <laughs> and players that they watch regularly yeah. on YouTube. For me, it's it's Zidane. Yeah, I'd be the same. Like I'd I'd happily just stay in self isolation for the next two months and watch Zidane nonstop. <laughs> and even even you take his last game in football when he headbutted Matarazzi, it was even the most perfect header. Like he's just. He just everything he does is just perfect, and like you can look at his highlight reel and you'll see everything from headers, volleys, taking it out, bending one in, smashing one in. He just he can just do everything and he controlling like, it on the turn. I mean, that's, oh, that's that's unbelievable, yeah. isn't it? That one that comes out. I think the keep does the keeper launch. He launches it long, and he just oh, that one like fifty yards out of the sky, and he just turns. As he controls it, it's one of my favorite moments in football. Period. Like it's just unreal. Like, he just he just looked like he was gliding across the pitch with the ball. He just, his control of it was unbelievable. And as I said, like he had a nasty streak as well, which every player needs, like to go with the technique, the power, the vision, the creativity. If you don't have the aggression, don't bother. Don't bother coming into the equation for these conversations. Like he's just unreal. And he was player of the tournament in World Cup 2006 as well. When he when he got himself sent off in the final in his last game. Like He retired after that. Players aren't supposed to get player of the tournament when it's their last ever game in football. You know, He won player of the tournament in Euro 2000 and that was two years after scoring two headers against Brazil in the 98 final in the World Cup. So he's just, he's just done everything. Footballer of the year in France, footballer of the year in Italy, uh, foreign footballer of the year in La Liga. He's won practically everything there is to win. Like, He's just he's football. Like there's, I won't I won't have a bad word said about him. He's a lovely man. I don't know any other player with his physique deck in midfield. Open, yeah, he's like six two or he's something. He's enormous. Yeah, he's huge. Yeah, the, the performance. I think there's a there's a clip on on Twitter and social media, and it's 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 a couple of minutes long, set to you know classical music, and it's him against. Brazil, Brazil, against Brazil, no. yeah, no, against Brazil, Brazil. is unbelievable. Um, against like the Ronaldinho or nine, um, I, I think it's two thousand and six, and he is. It's like you said, it's it's poetry in motion. Yeah. Um. They, didn't they release a whole film of him in ninety yeah, minutes? The Villarreal game. Yeah. That was the Villarreal one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah him just yeah, him, was, like yeah. following around on the pitch, um, and you know you talk about. You know, the old saying, like, the big players have to do it on the biggest stages. No, so many of Zidane's, like, iconic moments are actually in, like, World Cup finals. Or, you know, you think about the volley for Real Madrid. So, like, the very definition of a big game player as well. You know, some players can be accused of, you know, for all Ronaldinho's absolute, like, just being a joy to watch. Apart from maybe the the kind of... um the free kick against England, you wouldn't really uh, like pin him down to like big finals or whatever. Yeah. Whereas Zidane is, you know, like two headers in the World Cup in France 98, Euro 2000, 2006, and then, you know, for Real Madrid in the Champions but League. So As well as that, like you said, two headers yeah. against Brazil, like players who play, you know, the so-called number 10 or the creative player, they're not really supposed to score headers, you know, like especially in a World Cup final, they're not supposed to score two of them. It's, he just did everything well, yeah, I mean, he he was a unit. He was a centre back, build and moved like a 
I don't know, like a Ballerina. five foot player. Yeah, it was just unbelievable. Yeah. Like, yeah. And every player who's played against him always talks about how strong he was, how they couldn't believe how strong he was when he's when he's in possession of the ball. They just couldn't get around him to, to get a touch on the ball to try and take it off him. And like when I was saying about him retiring after the 2006 World Cup, I think he he retired from international football after 2004 as well, didn't he? And then he came back to play in 2006. But he he wanted to retire at the top of his game, and I was genuinely sad when he retired. It's yeah, yeah. yeah but but what a but what a way to go out, Stick. Like you said, I mean, like you know, you can go out winning the World Cup, but if you're not going out winning it, you're going out headbutting a lad. <laughs> 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 like, Ant was saying about Mateus there coming back when he's 38. I remember that World Cup. Mateus was a bit of a joke figure at that. He was absolute dog shit. He was well, well past it at that stage, and um, it kind of felt like a bit of a. Yeah, I don't you Last know. Last kind of like yeah. Yeah, it was kind of like out of respect for his career. Um, but he, he, you know, he'd be. It was most people were scoffing at it because he just was clearly wasn't up to the level. It, it, it really is phenomenal. Like Dex said, for a player to play his last ever game and still be the best player on the pitch, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't know if I'm wrong here, lads, as well. I, I might be like, I know we all, we're all clearly massive Zidane fans here, but I don't know. They, I was watching that goal against Bayer Leverkusen. It's one of my all-time favourite goals. I, I absolutely fucking love that goal. I, I don't know if it gets enough recognition. E- even, like, the commentary is not that good for it. You know, I was, I was watching it and, like, how he watches... Um, Carlos whipped the ball in and, and the way he shapes and just positions his body and pivots and, and the, the connection he makes with the ball it, everything about that goal is is just him it's just perfection like and I think literally I, I, I every other player I think literally every other player who has it who hits that snatches at it literally everyone yeah. I don't think they hit yeah. it yeah, yeah. With their yeah. I don't think they hit it yeah I think yeah, they completely well. missed it most people snatch it with their good foot yeah, Fuck but yeah, as you said, true, Pete, yeah. like he's he's he comes up big in big games regularly. So maybe that's the reason then that when he scores that, you know, it's like oh Zidane coming up big again as usual. Like if it was, if that's if that's scored by, you know, this the saying that we always hear you now, if Messi scores that or if Ronaldo scores that, I'm pretty sure that goal is spoken about nonstop, yeah, forever. Like, but uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. It it doesn't get enough recognition. Now I do think. People do go on about it a bit, like, but it is, as you said, it's weak foot. Yeah, me too. It gets plenty. Yeah, no, 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 it does. But it's like, it's just nice to watch back every now and then and go, oh, fuck, that's unreal. Yeah, no, I mean, he's, he's, uh, yeah, I saw him play twice and it was, I've never seen such a, like, playing in that Madrid team and he was so head and shoulders above literally everybody else on the pitch. It was like a different game that he was playing. It was just unbelievable. But uh, so uh, we'll see who gets into the team in number ten. Then um, Peter, you're got, you've got a bit of a, a chore here actually because obviously you've got Ronaldo, you've got R nine as everybody does, but you've also got Van Basten. Um, there's limited space in this eleven. Why should he be in there? Um, again, I, I can't claim to have uh, seen a whole lot of Marco Van Basten, but. Even just, you know, talking to people who were around then and, you know, he kind of finished up around 1990, whereas I, when I had just kind of remembered or have my first memories of football and there's just a reverence when people talk about Marco Van Basten. If you watch the YouTube videos, his finishing ability is, is just absolutely outrageous. Um, off either foot, in the air, his movement... Uh, the ingenuity, the agility of some of his of his some of his finishing, 
Um, scorer of, of, you know, some iconic goals with Ajax, with AC Milan, widely regarded as the best player or the best striker in the world um, throughout the late 80s, early 90s. You know, 1988, 89 and 92, he, he won Ballon d'Or as part of that you know, great AC Milan team, one of the greatest club sides ever that dominated Italian football and European football. His goal against England is, you know, to sum him up as, as a player of the ability and, and ingenuity he had that volley over Seaman for or sorry, over Peter Shilton from nearly on the um on the goal line is just just phenomenal. Um, you know, part of the really exciting Dutch team, 1998, with Hullet and Rijkaard, etc., who won Euro 88. By anybody that was around at that time, obviously Italian football was at its absolute peak, and they all speak in revered terms about Van Basten, that he just had absolutely everything. You know, this was a time where it was kind of funny when I think back about Italian, Italian football in the early 90s, because not only did they have the best um, attacking players, they had... As good as defenders, like the, the defenders there were absolutely world class as well. And he just scored goals for fun, no matter where he was. Um, so, you know, for me, I, like I said, I, I didn't see him play a whole lot, but just purely on reputation and having viewed his, his clips, you get to you get a sense of just how phenomenal he was. And I think it's seen as one of the great tragedies of, of football that he had to retire at 28 when he was at his absolute. Prime. He'd already won three Ballon d'Ors, um, finished top scorer in nearly every league season he'd ever played in. He was winning trophies left, right and centre. So it was, uh, I think football fans were, were robbed of seeing a player, you know, going becoming even better in, in his final years. And I suppose the age we're at, we'd probably have a better memory of him. You know, he could have played it. He could have played on till kind of the late 90s very much. Um, so, yeah, it was a tragedy yeah. that... His career was cut short, and uh, someone I wanted to throw in there. I knew everyone would go for R9. I have him myself, uh, but I just wanted to, to throw him in there because it's someone I'm I'm fascinated by his career. I, I, I love to watch videos of him. He's he's absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, there's that- a story. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'd have to double check it, but I think it was uh, Fabio Capello, who obviously famously made a granite. Um, apparently when he heard about Van Basten's injury and the fact that he was probably going to have to retire uh, at what should have been the peak of his game, apparently he was inconsolable. Apparently he was he was almost in tears that like the game had lost such a such a great footballer. So it, it just shows you how revered he was, you know, by everyone else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and definitely worth a mention. Um, but finally, uh, the player that everybody chose, or nine original Ronaldo, El Phenomeno. Who uh, you can fight amongst yourselves. Who wants to start this? Give it to Colin. Call go give for it. Give it Buick. Give it Buick. You yourself. Go on, Buick. Ah, oh, I don't know if I'll be able to control myself for this, but look, phenomenal. I mean, what but, do you say? Hang on, b- before you start, can I just say I have his signature. I have his autograph. How? Oh. Uh, my dad's friend used to work for Barcelona. Uh, worked was he Bobby club. No, he wasn't. He was just a guy. He was just a guy in the club. <laughs> I swear to God, I'm going to have to take this out. Actually, now that you mentioned it, who knows? Maybe it was just my dad signed it. But I have a thing, and it goes... Was that not Ronald who worked in Spare? It could have been. Sure but like, I got this in... Fuck, when was this? 1998, I think it was. And it says, uh, it, it's his picture, it's a little, it's a laminate thing, and it's Paris Sam Ronaldo. I have to find it, it's in my mom's house somewhere. 
in in a folder. I, I put it in a laminate and put it in a drawer. So hopefully they still fucking have it or I'll fucking kill someone. <laughs> but <laughs> but it, I have that or I had that. Whether it was real or not, I'll never know. But it was definitely signed in Sharpie. So uh, I'll try and dig it out next time I'm home and get a picture yeah, of it. But anyway. Um, someone who just had a kid, it's, it's good to... Good to hear that you uh, really look after your prized possession so well. <laughs> <laughs> Don't leave that kid in a drawer in your mom's house. Whatever do you, want, you do. do you want to know the the other part of that story? The other part of that story is that so this uh, this guy who worked out at uh, at Barcelona, Spain were playing their their home games in different grounds around the place. So I had the old Spanish jersey, you know, the red one with the kind of line down the, the left-hand side of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I had that, and it had... Now, whether it was... Again, whether it was real or not, I don't know, because I was, like, 10 or something. Uh, it had loads of signatures all over it, and my mum washed it and ironed it and uh, put, an, uh, put the iron through both layers of the jersey. So... So I haven't spoken to her in twenty five years, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that, that that's a real story and a thing that happened. Go on, Carl, tell us why I love Ronaldo. Between the ages of seventeen and twenty two, Ronaldo scored one hundred and fifteen goals in one hundred and thirty four games. So that's between nineteen ninety four and nineteen ninety nine, um, and then he did his knee. And talk about Marco van Basten retiring at twenty eight is a tragedy. Well, this is either second or it's. It's equal, or maybe even more, because I suppose the difference is Van Basten had to stop playing, Ronaldo kept going. And even after Ronaldo had the back-to-back um, serious knee injuries that really should have ended his career, he still managed uh, 83 goals in 127 games for Real Madrid and 49 and 68 for Inter Milan. But, you know, the two years he had at PSV Eindhoven, the one year at Barcelona and the first two years at Inter Milan, i.e. 1984 to 1999, there was just no one better. He was the ultimate centre forward. He's the best striker of all time to play the game. And he was so good that, like, like he's the only player in this team whose individual achievements outshine his collective. Like, he won the World Cup in 2002 after what happened in 1998. And other than that, he's won La Liga once and the UEFA Cup and the Cup Winners' Cup and the Copa del Rey. But really, you're talking about the two Ballon d'Ors and he probably should have won more than that. He... He was a phenomenal goal scorer up there with the likes of Ruud van Nistelrooy and Alan Shearer. But he also had the footwork of Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. He was a player who played football at the top level of the game as if you're playing FIFA on amateur level. And you're, you should be playing on world-class level. But he was doing it at actual real-life world-class level against world-class players and making a joke out of them. I don't think there's been a player since him who has been better at taking the ball around a goalkeeper. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Michael Owen will claim to, but, like, ah, Ronaldo really, was like... just... Uh, Ronaldo was... Yeah, taking it around players. And the thing about Ronaldo was he didn't even need to have the skill that he had. It was just, like, a bonus that he had because he already had blistering pace and incredible finishing. But he, he had the trickery of a winger. He had the... He had the skill of a, of a total luxury flair player that you throw on for the last 15 minutes because he'll definitely take on his man and you'll almost always get round his man. And I was talking earlier about how Kaka is the second best performance I've seen against Manchester United and the best is Ronaldo in 2003. And that was after his knee injuries. He was still doing this when he was nowhere near match fit. And he was still scoring brilliant goals right up till he retired um, in, back in Brazilian football. But the fact that he did this at such a young age and no one ever seen the likes of him, but he had 
he was the best. Like I was talking about Luis Figo earlier, he was brilliant until other, like literally the one player that was better than Figo at certain just came around. Well, Ronaldo was the best at everything. Everything. That's how good he was. Uh, it's just, it makes me emotional the fact that the guy wasn't the same after his two knee injuries. That we never, he could have had the best career of all time in any sport. He could have been better than Michael Jordan at basketball. That's how good he was. I, I, remember, I remember being well news, Carl, when, when he got that injury, when he went down with those knee injuries. I, I remember it being like global news that Ronaldo had had this horrendous injury. And then obviously, as you say, he had that second knee injury yeah. as well because he rushed him back. And it, it, it was, it genuinely was a tragedy. Because I, I, like you, I've never seen a better a better forward. He, he was just unreal, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he over, overworldly, you know. By the age of 21, he'd twice gone for world record transfer fees. Yeah, yeah, and, 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 like, and yeah, and, and, and no goals, no goal. My favorite goal of his that just sums him up, like the power, the skill, the ability to run with the ball at like, but at the same time look like he's about to break the speed barrier is like that goal against Compostela. Do you know the one I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, like, absolutely. Like players are actually trying to pull him back by the shirt, and he's just yeah. show like elbows them away and just yeah. rips through the whole team. But that, I, that, that's as close to like an old school seventies, you know, where everyone's just coming in to hatch yeah, him yeah. down, and he just yeah, like one. yeah, yeah. George Best is true one on one, and Chopper Harris trying to chop him down. He stays on his feet, and that's the closest thing I've seen to it. Yeah. Ronaldo was so good, he didn't he didn't have to go down. He didn't have to look for the foul. I mean, that frustrates me about players nowadays is brilliantly talented players will first look for the foul because they're, they're going to get it. They don't stay on their feet. They probably could. Ronaldo didn't bother with that. Didn't bother. Also, the best individual piece of skill I've seen was when he was at Inter Milan. He's on the byline. Yeah. And he rounds about yeah, yeah. our players were just not making all of them. And like the real tragedy about that second injury was that he was trying to do a step over, which is pretty much what he brought into the game on a regular basis. It was him, not Cristiano, who really brought the step overs in. Yeah, and he fell over the fell the, the over the football and the players around him are then they know immediately they know that something's wrong here the opposition that is and they're calling for the stretcher the, the thing uh, about Ronaldo and stepovers is that he, the way he did it was it was so economical it was about making space and it wasn't it wasn't a kind of a showy thing it wasn't about you know looking what I can do it was it, it was absolutely about making space and it just put players off for that split second yeah, yeah. and his finish and immediately afterwards or his you know his ability to push into the space immediately after doing it was like nothing I've yeah. ever seen before or since we got an interview with him recently um and he's the most personable guy ever uh and his english is phenomenal i don't know if you've heard speak he's fluent English like brilliant English and he has no reason to it he just seems to be an all-around great guy he almost had unusual technique though in his younger days because I, I was watching I don't know much about that first season he had in European football but he was 18 and he scored 35 and 36 for PSV and I was watching <laughs> some of the goals from that, that season in the Eredivisie and it, it's almost like when you're watching it, you're thinking if you're a coach, you're like, no, no, you're taking it. You're almost taking the ball too far in your one-on-ones. It's almost like he's giving the goalkeeper too much of the ball, and then he'll just pull off the coolest finish around, you know, dink the over the goalkeeper's shoulder and round, and it almost looks like he's taking it too close to the goalkeeper because he's dribbled it like right up to where you think the goalkeeper's going to smother him, and he just knocks it past him. That, and that's what I was saying a while ago, Ant. I mean, like I've never, I haven't seen a player since. Who who takes the ball around keepers? Who just like makes mugs of keepers in a way that he did? There's just people don't do it anymore. Even like you know, you chat about Ronaldo and Messi, and it's very efficient. They get within scoring range and they pass in the corner. Messi does, or you know, put their foot through it like Ronaldo does, where it, or like Cristiano Ronaldo does. 
Yeah, whereas the UEFA Cup final nineteen ninety eight against Lazio for Inter, yeah, he does the t- he d- he never touches the ball. He does yeah. two shimmies with his body, and the keeper goes both ways with him. And there was one time about I'd say at least ten years ago, it was in a nightclub, and I have no idea why, but that was put up on a big screen, and all the lads went mental. All <laughs> uh, right, lads. I don't know if anyone else has anything to add on Ronaldo, but uh, I can tell you he's in the eleven. Uh, do you want to hear my final eleven based on on yeah, your pitches? Go ahead. Yeah, go yeah, for it. Go. All right. Uh, obviously, you're back four. So you've got Yashin, Cannavaro, Samer, and uh, Beckenbauer because they, they got to be in there. Uh, I've gone for Lothar Matthias. I've gone for him holding it at the back. I've gone for nice. Ronaldinho and Modric. Nice. I've gone for Zidane, number 10. Nice. I've gone for Messi, Ronaldo, left and right. And obviously, Ornine, Ronaldo up top. It was very, very difficult not to put Cruyff in. But what I've done is I've made him player manager. Ah, very good. I think it's the best way to do it. Uh, that almost, very, just almost takes us to the end of the show. Have we got time for one more quick quiz? Just a couple of questions. Go yeah, on. quick. All yeah, right, go then, let, let's go then, lads. Uh, who, where were we? Uh, who has scored more career goals? This is good, considering the thing. Uh, Ronaldo or Messi? Deck. Deck. Ronaldo. It is Ronaldo. Very good. Uh, who? Which Dutch player was voted European Player of the Century in 1999? And and uh, Cruyff. Of course, it was lads. Come on, you got to be faster with that. Uh, who scored the first Premier League hat trick? Colum. Colum. Cantona. It is Cantona. Very good. Uh, let's see. Which English referee officiated the 2010 World Peter. Cup final? Peter. Peter. Howard Webb. Was Howard Webb, yeah, very good. Wayne Rooney scored his first Premier League goal against which club? Ant. Ant, Arsenal. It is Arsenal, very good. Uh, Who is the world's most expensive teenager? Peter. Peter. Joe Felix. No, it's Kylian Kylian Mbappe. Oh, shit, yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, Which club ended a 10-year stint in the Premier League following relegation at the end of the 2017-18 final? Peter. Uh, Stoke. It is Stoke. Very good. Well done. Uh, and I'll give you one more. Which team saw themselves eliminated from the 2018 World Cup due to fair play rules? Oh, who is this again? Uh, P- Peter. Peter. South Korea. No. I didn't even know this. Japan. Somebody was. No. China. No, it was Senegal. All right, I'll give you another one. Uh, which club did Diego Maradona last play for in Europe? Column. Sevilla. Was Sevilla. Very good. All right, that's it. I, I'm pretty sure Peter won, but uh, good game had by all, and we'll actually keep scores next time. That's it from us for this week. Make sure you have a look out for the 90s Hall of Fame pod. That'll be coming out on Thursday and every Thursday, and uh, we'll try and bring this pod back a bit more regularly as well, and hopefully someday soon we'll have actual live football to talk about. Keep an eye on the footballfaithful.com as well, because there's lots of great football content still coming up there. And uh, just time to say thanks to Peter. Thank you, Peter. Cheers, lads. Thanks, Cole. Thanks, lads. Cheers, Jack. Thank you. Thank you, Ant. Thanks, one, lads. And thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.